The following episode of Mark My Words has been edited for this rebroadcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network. I'm Mark Shaw, a certified life coach and business coach. In addition to my work with organizations as a leadership coach, I coach individuals in overcoming the blocks they experience on the path to creating the life that they want. So here at the video show, I interview guests, take your calls, coach people, and discuss a wide range of topics related to personal growth and development and transformation. As always, we'll be taking your calls and comments tonight, so feel free to give us a call at 646-716-9397, and at various points throughout the show, we will take your calls, questions, and comments. So welcome to tonight's episode, which is about recovering from eating disorders. Uh, According to the National Institute of Mental Health, an eating disorder is an illness that causes serious disturbances to your everyday diet, such as eating extremely small amounts of food or severely overeating. These are urges that spiral out of control and are accompanied by severe distress or concern, usually about body weight or shape. Common eating disorders include anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. Eating disorders affect both men and women. And eating disorders are real, treatable medical illnesses. Uh, They have the highest mortality rate of any mental disorder. They frequently coexist with other illnesses such as depression, substance abuse, or anxiety disorders. Symptoms can become life-threatening if a person doesn't receive treatment. People with anorexia nervosa are 18 times more likely to die early compared with people with the general population. So tonight, I'm delighted to interview my guest, Susan Winooski. Susan is a certified coach whose expertise is in working with men and women who have recovered from eating disorders. Having recovered from an eating disorder herself, Susan is the oldest of five children. Uh, she was always perfect always to be a people and was too shy to have many of her own friends. She married at the age of 18 and has now been married 42 years. In 2000, her mom passed away from complications from obesity, which is when Susan's eating disorder kicked in. At the age of 48, she was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and experienced a spiraling weight loss, a self-esteem loss, as well as a life of isolation and extreme exercise, leaving her weight plummeting well below three digits at only five foot seven. A silent heart attack followed, accompanied by migraines and the near loss of her family and marriage. Now entering her fourth year of solid recovery, Susan helps others who've suffered from the same despair that she suffered from, having become a life coach at age 57, at the recommendation actually of her dietitian. And today she coaches men and women who have overcome their eating disorders and are ready to take the next step in moving forward in their lives. So welcome, Susan, to Mark My Words. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot for inviting me on your radio show. How are you doing tonight? Certainly. Hello, can I'm you hear me? Great. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. okay. Great. So, um, so yeah, so, no, it's great to have you on the show, and I really appreciate it when you reached out to me on Facebook originally uh, and, uh, and inquired about being on. I think it's a really – it's an important topic, and uh, like you and I said during one of our conversations, 
uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't realize the kind of help that's available uh, for people uh, after they've gone through recovery from eating disorders. So uh, I think it's really important. So I'm glad that you're here to, to uh, inform our listeners uh, of the work that you do. Thanks a lot. Uh, yes, um, there's a lot of treatment out there, but once you're released or discharged from your treatment center, um, a lot of people have, uh, a lot of my clients, a lot of uh, patients have no idea what they want to do next in life. So that's kind of where I come in. Great, great. So tell us a little bit then about what the work is that you do as a coach. I understand you, uh, it's not that you treat the eating disorder. You work with folks after they've been in treatment and they're ready to take the next steps. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Good question. Um, I usually do not work with clients that are still medically unstable. I will work with a client who is still in treatment as long as they are ready to take the next step. So what I do with my clients is work with them to bust through the limitations that they have placed upon themselves with the eating disorder to look inside themselves to realize that you know, they can do anything that they want to do. And generally, I will work with a client one or two times a week, either by phone or one-on-one, -on -one, and we, we kind of uh, brainstorm on passions and what they would like to do, and we try to make it happen. Mm, great, great. So you're really about making people the next the next life in their lives. Um, and uh, that's, 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 that's important. It's be a real challenge that, that, like, whatever part of I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear that last part. Hello? Can you hear me now? Yes, it was just breaking up just a little bit. I apologize. So, yeah, so no just sort just so our listeners know, uh, we may be experiencing some technical difficulties because of some Internet challenges uh, as I travel internationally and do the show from out of the country. So hopefully we won't have too many of those and, and we'll be good. So, uh, and worst comes to worst, if the signal breaks up too badly and we need to reschedule the show for uh, November 18th, we will. But I think we'll be okay. Uh, so if you can tell me, Susan, if, uh, if I do break up at all, that would be really sure. helpful. Because if I I'm sure breaking will. up for you, I'm probably breaking up for those that are listening as well. So, okay. um, so what I had said, Susan, was that uh, it's. I imagine that the 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 portion, uh, the the part of someone's life that's been on hold while they were struggling, still needs to be addressed once they're done with that immediate treatment. Um, and that's where life coaching comes in. I imagine most treatment programs don't really handle that part of it. They handle the disorder, and then the person's ready to move on, and they're done. And then it's where you come in. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a, a client or a patient will go in for treatment, get medically stabilized, um, have a treatment team, usually a dietitian, a therapist, and a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and 
once they are medically stable, they will be discharged and um, with with tools, with coping tools. But where I come in is when they are released or are discharged and wanting to know what is next, um, that's when they'll hire me as their coach and we will uh, do some action planning and some visioning and and kind of like pick up where they left off when their eating disorder took over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. So let's back up a little bit in time mm-hmm. um, from what you do now. And uh, I gave a little bit of your history uh, with your own eating disorder. I kind of gave a bird's eye view. But can you fill us in a little bit uh, just about your history with your eating disorder? Sure, sure. Well, I, as I look back, I realized that I probably had some sort of disordered eating all my life. But it really took hold when, um, after years of feeling like I was not in control of a lot of things, such as decisions on what I wanted to do with my life or where I wanted to go to school or the friends I wanted, and then marrying so young, um, naturally back in the early 70s, it was, quote, unquote, uh, husband's duty to provide for the household, so I felt like I lost a lot of that control. Mm. Um, The only thing I was able to control is what I put in my mouth, and I got some satisfaction um, for knowing that I could do that. I could, I can control what I put in my mouth, and actually, Mark, when I first started with the eating disorder before it really plummeted, um, it was, I was actually kind of doing a a binge uh, eating disorder where I would overeat, and of course there was no control there either, and when my mother passed away from complications of obesity, it, I mean, I can just remember the day that that happened and my saying to myself I will never allow myself to be like that ever again and mm. thus I, yes and thus I I started a 12 year journey down 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 the spiral to hell and it was the um it was it was the worst thing that I have ever lived through um not only did I not have control I was spinning totally out of control, giving mm-hmm. the eating disorder all of the control. Wow. So tell me a little bit about you. So you said that uh, it was a, a spiral down to hell. Um, can you share with us a little bit about what that hell was like? How did you experience that? For me, it was a lot of isolation. Um, my husband worked at a job, um, and his hours were very convenient for an eating disorder. He left the home at noon and would come home at 11.30. Our daughter is married and grown and lives away from home, so it was myself and the eating disorder all day. So at, say, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I would just 
shut the curtains, put an exercise video on, and maybe exercise for the next five hours and not mm. eat anything. And just my husband found me unconscious when he came home from work. My head was split open. I was um, mm. incoherent. It was It was just I would, I would make up any excuse to be alone. I missed I would go to exercise class with 102 fever. Mm. Okay, thinking that I had to do this. If I didn't do this, then I would I would gain weight or I would um, I would be out of control. So it was just there was my life was just sucked dry. Wow, wow, and I imagine just tons of you know the the, the physical pain and the emotional pain just sound enormous. It was it was unbelievable. Looking back at it now with a healthy mind, um, I remember that I would not allow myself to eat because if I did not feel the hunger pain in my stomach, then I hadn't done my job of being a good anorexic. Okay. Mm. And I came to love that feeling, that pain in the stomach. It, it was telling me that I was succeeding at what I was doing. Mhm. Wow. And the whole time I was in complete denial. That's what I was going to ask you too. It's mm-hmm. like so so like what I'm not sure how to ask this next question because I'm not sure just what how what 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 did you how did what was going on for you occur for you? If it didn't occur for you as, oh, my God, I'm sick, I have an eating disorder, something's wrong, I need help. It obviously didn't occur for you that way. Yet mm-hmm. you also knew that you were in tremendous pain. So, so what was the, the interpretation that you gave to yourself about what was going on with you? The interpretation, um, it's a process. When I first when I first started losing the weight, um, people really noticed and the compliments started, and I fed off those compliments. And I would tell myself that the pain was worth it. The pain was worth, worth it because I, I was being paid attention to. I was being given special attention at the grocery store or at, at a restaurant if we went to a restaurant that I had never had before. Um, I rationalized it that this is the price I pay for looking beautiful. Mm. In my eyes, that's what I was trying to achieve, being beautiful. Mm-hmm. And even with all the, the, the immense amount of pain, that, that's still, that was interpreted by you as, as that's, that's what people have to do to look beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, no pain, no gain, and right. Um, right, right, and and I was tired, uh, but I, I I fought the tiredness. Um, I would walk over ten miles a day. Wow! If I if I could, if I couldn't, I didn't. I did it in the house, standing in in place. It was just such an obsession. Sure, and it's interesting because as you talk about it, Susan, it's it's like. You know, as, I, as I've talked to people who experience addictions, it's similar, the, the doing anything you can to be alone so that you can engage in the chosen behavior, whether it's binging, purging, 
or if it's somebody with a drug or alcohol addiction, drinking, drugging, um, and the increased isolation, a lot of parallels. Absolutely, you're absolutely correct, correct Mark. It, 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 it is, and it was an addiction, and it is an addiction. And um, you, like I said, I would, miss, I would miss my father's birthday party. I would miss family gatherings. Uh, with the excuse that I didn't feel good, and then go off to an exercise class. Um, kickboxing, I took kickboxing classes for seven years. Mm. Uh, you know, anything, anything to, um, to, achieve, uh, to, to achieve the look that I wanted to achieve. But I was growing weaker and weaker, and um, I would just... I would, I would just ignore it. I was in total total denial and just figured this is what you know. This I'll just get. I'll just sleep. I'll take a pill. I'll go to sleep and I'll be fine tomorrow. And the cycle started the next day over and over and over. And quite honestly, I made I made the um, the mental choice to do it. So when did it shift for you into a different realm out of the, well, hey, no pain, no gain, and this is the price I pay for beauty. When did it begin to shift for you into something else uh, where maybe you began to realize that maybe there was something more going on here than healthy exercise? Yeah, um, that took a long time to get to that point. Um, my family was very concerned, and my husband and my daughter um, were so concerned. I I went to treatment centers. I went to three different residential treatment centers, and um, I was again being the perfect being the perfect daughter. I was being the perfect patient. I did everything that um, they told me to do, and as soon as I walked out of the treatment center, everything fell out of my ears, and um, I would start to relapse immediately. So I didn't really hit bottom for a long, for a long time, for a long time. But what started my, oh my goodness, well my mother died in, in 2000, and my recovery took place in uh, 2009. So, yeah, nine years, nine, wow. nine, nine to ten years before, before a shift started. Um, but, you know, I mean, my, my, my husband gave me an ultimatum, either, either get better, seek treatment, or... or I can't take this anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't be with you. My daughter, my daughter threatened that I couldn't see my grandson anymore, and I, I don't blame them. I can mm-hmm. look back now and say, well, of course, of course, mm-hmm. I can't see my grandson. So for me, I think how did we have then to that? Oh, yeah, oh, I would, I would just be in total denial, saying. Um, I can do this like any addict. I can stop anytime I want. I can mm-hmm. do this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I can eat. All I have to do is sit down and eat. And, you know, of course, the, the eating disorder thoughts were, were telling me to say this because this is what 
I thought that they wanted to hear is I can I can change, I can do this, I can get better. Just give mm-hmm. me one more chance, one more chance and I can get better. It's the you know, it's the same as any addict. Um right. but my family God love them and thank God for each and every one of them never gave up on me and never bought that line of bull for one second. Mm. So the shift for me, I'm just going to back up a little bit and say that each time I went into a, a, a treatment center, I did it for somebody else. I did it for my husband. I did it for my daughter. Mm-hmm. I never said, I'm doing this for Susan. Of course, being that perfect person again, I, I wanted to people please and do it for other people. Sure. Well, you don't get better that way. You don't. So my psychiatrist kind of dropped a, t- uh, a bomb on me, saying that the only the only option left for me was a nursing home. They had mm. they didn't know they had no other option because they would take me, refeed me get me medically stable, and boom, right back to to the beginning again. So when something resonated, re- resonated with me when she said nursing home, mm. I believe, I, yes, I believe I was maybe 55, 56, um, and I'm thinking nursing homes are for old people for very old people that can't take care of themselves. <laughs> and, and, and I caught a, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror when I came home and I said, you are old, you can't, you can't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the, the shift started. It was a mind shift. It was maybe there's something better than, than this. Maybe I can do something better. So... I decided to do it one more, I give it one more chance, and I made all the arrangements. I called the insurance company. I picked, I picked a place far, far away so my husband couldn't come and visit because I needed to work on myself. Mm. And I so, was there. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just wondering too if you know. I'm kind of linking this up to the issue of control. And you said you know something mm-hmm. resonated with you about nursing home. How likely mm-hmm. is it that it was like you have no control in a nursing home? Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. That's yes, absolutely. I mean, in my home with my husband at work, I, you know, I had some semblance of a life of control. Mm-hmm. I could walk around without, you know, anybody telling me what to do or 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 changing my my depends or whatever, but uh when yeah, that that was a total loss of control. Mhm. You wow. know, my my yeah, my life would, you know, for for all practical purposes um, be over sure absolutely be over so um i did go i did go down to a treatment center down south and everything was i mean i loved it it was a holistic center everything was really going good because i was doing it for myself Mm -hmm. and um having lunch one day and the insurance lady comes to get me, and when the insurance lady comes to get you, it's not a good—it's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the insurance company had decided since I was starting to restore that they would no longer pay for my residential treatment there. They would pay for a day program, but not the um, not the room and board. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, this was my shift. They told me at the treatment center that they would charge nothing for the room and board so I could get better. And wow. that was my, yeah, that was, that was my shift right there. And I thought, if they believe in me that much to do that, then there must be something worth saving. And I've never looked back since. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing, Susan. How, Thank you. So how long were you there then after that? I was there another, another almost a month. Uh-huh. I should have stayed three months, but I made such good progress and had such an excellent aftercare treatment team that um, I left about three and a half weeks later. Mm-hmm. And that probably was about $150, maybe $200 a night that they mm-hmm. would charge. So, um, yeah, I mean, thank God for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, and, 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 and it's those little miracles, and you never know where, where they, they come from. And I was just happy and lucky enough to recognize it. Sure. So back to this control uh, idea, Uh, so we often hear that eating disorders are about control. Um, And the way you you articulated it before was that, you know, there were things that you couldn't control in your life, but you could always control what you put in your mouth or refuse to put in your mouth. Um, Uh Uh So comment a little bit for me, Susan, on what, what were the things that you were trying to control that you didn't feel in control of? I know you hit upon uh, a few of them. If you could just dive a little deeper into that. Sure, sure. Good question. Um, wow. One of the things that I thought I had no control over was what I could do with my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. When in actuality I could have done anything I wanted to do, but... I had built it up into my head that because I was met with resistance or because I said yes when I wanted to say no, that that I didn't have the control, that somebody Mm -hmm. else had the control. Um, With my husband, I I mean, we've been married 42 years. Uh, It hasn't always been, you know, roses, but... Again, we were very young when we got married, and I had I had an idea of what marriage was, and you know, in actuality, it was nowhere near the the the, the picture that we paint for ourselves. I wanted control of the money and 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 the checkbook when I really didn't need to have that control. Okay, mm-hmm. I just it was. A, Things, different things that I built up in my mind that if somebody said no or that's not really a good idea, instead of sitting down and talking about it, I just immediately said, well, you know, you're all against me. I have no control. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm not, eat, I'm not going to eat. Mm. And you can't stop me from doing that. Right. Right. Wow. You sounds like you've really been through hell and back. I have, I have, but if if I had to do it over again to get where I am right now, I would in an instant do it again. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. And I know that's hard for some people to understand, but um, going through that hell has brought me to a place of such joy and passion that Mm. (laughs) the hell was worth it. Yeah. Well, you know, it it actually makes sense to me um, and probably to lots of people that you would say that. Uh, because, you know, I've known plenty of people in my time who have had, you know, cancer, HIV-related illnesses, uh, and various various things that they've recovered from. And, you know, so many of them have said that they've gotten to a point in their lives where that illness has turned out to be the greatest gift yes. Yes. in their life. Yes. So yes. it makes sense that you would experience it that way. Thank you, thank you. Um, sure. It gave me my life back. It gave me the chance to also pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, and that's important. Uh, the whole concept of of paying it forward, which is also one of the basic tenets of twelve step recovery, right? It's about mm-hmm. carrying the message to others who are suffering. Um, and uh, from what I understand, Susan, you do quite a bit of that, and you do it quite beautifully. Um, so paying it forward seems to be uh, something that is a notion that you've taken to heart uh, and, and, and really done in a powerful way. Thank you. Sure. So, so let's talk about that, um, about how you're carrying that message forward. So you coach people uh, who have gone through uh, their own their own eating disorder drama and trauma mm-hmm. and uh, are ready to take their next steps. And being that you've been through it yourself, obviously you've got the uh, direct experience to be able to relate to, to what they're going through um, in some very significant ways. So, um, so what, what are your criteria for someone to become a client of yours? If someone wants to become a client, um, one of the first things I will ask the, 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 the person is, um, are you ready to move forward beyond the eating disorder? Another criteria would be um, recovery. Okay. Um, a criteria would be a commitment to you know to to try and obtain the goals that they want to set and and work with me but the most important criteria for to become a client with me is because you want to better yourself and do something that you've always been passionate about mm. great so how do you how do you then work with eating uh, disorder-related issues? I mean, is it about eating plans and, and such, or is it other things that's going on? What, what, what does the work actually consist of? Sure, sure. Actually, I, I actually talk very little about eating plans or eating disorders or behaviors. What I concentrate on in my coaching and with my clients is the here and now. I only ask for some background as as a foundation to get to know my clients. 
Other than that, um, I don't intrude on the other treatment teams, um, their specialities, such as a dietitian or a therapist, although I do work a lot uh, with them. So when you're, when you're in recovery from an eating disorder, you have spent months, years and years of stabilization, meal plans, doing this, doing that, what other people want you to do. The first thing I ask a client is, what do you want? How can we, make, how, how can we get your needs met? Mm-hmm. And we work from that moment forward. Mm. And I never ask them, are you eating, have you eaten your breakfast? They know if they've eaten. If they're, if they're well enough and stable enough to become a client, I don't need to ask any of those questions. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then what do you do if, suppose, you're working with a client and they are slipping into behaviors, oh. and either they tell you that or maybe they mm-hmm. don't tell you that, but you're noticing weight loss or weight gain? Right, right. And actually, um, when I first became certified, I would I would literally coach anything that moved, only to get the, <laughs> the practice. Yeah, I would coach my husband, I would coach my daughter, I would coach my father, my friends. Um, I and my very first paying client, she lovely, lovely woman, young young lady, but um, I didn't have enough experience as a coach to notice that she was not ready for coaching because mm-hmm. she would ask me certain questions like, well, Susan, what did you do when this happened? Or, you know, how, how did you react? And it's not about me. It's about my client. And she became very, very medically unstable. Mm-hmm. And I would visit her in the hospital, and it, it became apparent to me that, it was both uncomfortable for her and for me because we weren't making any progress whatsoever. So she ended up going to an acute um, an acute facility in Denver, which handled the sickest of the sick. And I, I made sure that she knew that when she was stable again, that I would welcome her with open arms back into into coaching. Mm. But you know, the most important thing was for her to get her medical attention. So, sure. so when I notice something, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of say, well, what's been going on this week or what's been going on? Um, I've noticed that you are a little edgy. Uh, you want to talk about it or, um, you know, what, what actually what's been going on and, uh, Mm-hmm. What can we do to, you know, what do you need from me? What do you need from me to make your day better? Or what do you need from yourself? What can you do to make your day better or your week better? And right. and I will, you're right, I will confront them. I, I, you know, are you are you having a difficult time? And I'll try not to, you know, use a yes or no question. But, you know, what are the difficulties? What's been What's been an obstacle for you this week? Right. Right. And so it's really. And, I'm gather, yeah. What I'm gathering that it's really just like, like, you know, any any life coach would do in any situation where mm-hmm. the client apparently starts dealing with something 
that is outside our area of, of, of focus and expertise and training even um, as, as a coach. We refer them to a, to a professional who Absolutely. provides the, the, the right kind of service. And, you know, I, I think that's a point that's actually, as I think about it, well worth uh, uh, expanding upon a little bit because I think, uh, and this may be the case for our listeners because it's certainly the case out there in the world, uh, where people don't understand what life coaching is and what life coaching is not. Um, and particularly in the therapy world, there are therapists that don't understand what we do um, and uh, feel a little, uh, and feel quite uncomfortable or quite opposed mm-hmm. to the work that life coaches we do, to the work that life coaches do, uh, believing that we're doing work we're not trained for. And I think this is a perfect example uh, of the fact that we do not do work that we're not trained for. Uh, and here, you know, you are exemplifying so so well how you recognize, aha, client is working, is dealing with something that's outside my realm right now. Mm-hmm. Let me kind of, let me assess the situation uh, and see if there is anything uh, that I am able to provide. And then upon realizing that you can't, then making the appropriate referral. Because we're not medical professionals. We're not psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists. Um, Absolutely. And you know, and there are certain things that come up uh, that require those modalities and other things that respond very well uh, and require a coaching uh, sort of intervention. So what I'm hearing is that in your particular practice, it's incredibly important to, uh, to be making that distinction. I mean, it's incredibly important for all of us, but certainly uh, in what you're doing to make that distinction. Because if you weren't able to make that, then uh, yeah. you, know, you would actually bring harm to somebody because they wouldn't be getting what they really need. Absolutely, and absolutely. So it's just so great that you're that, that that's you know that that's the way you need to handle that. Thank, thank you. And 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 it's so necessary because um, it can turn on a dime. Eating disorders are very tricky that way. They can. Um, I've lost many friends who had been in recovery, and the eating disorder had done so much damage that it was ir- reversible and a simple a simple uh, elective surgery, uh, one of my friends died on the table. So we, I have to be very hypervigilant on sure. this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, by the way, if anybody out there is interested in calling in and asking a question of Susan or me or just commenting, uh, please uh, feel free to do that. And the, uh, the number to call is 646-716-9397. So, um, so Susan, I, I know you started coaching women, uh, and and you also coach men, though. And I, I most people aren't really aware uh, that there are many men with eating disorders. Uh, so, can you comment a little bit on uh, eating disorder and and sex or gender? Oh, sure, sure, and and that's a very good question too, Mark. Thank you. Um, a lot of people do not realize that um, 10, 10 million women suffer from, from eating disorders and at least 3 to 4 million men suffer from eating disorders. Um, actually, statistics are there are more men with eating disorders in our country than with prostate cancer. When I read those wow. statistics, it blew my mind, you know, more than prostate cancer. Um, and 
typically men are a little bit more reluctant to ask for help or look for help because they believe or they were led to believe that it's a, a woman's, a lady's um, disorder. But sure. I've met some wonderful men during uh, in my practice. Um, my men clients are absolutely um, tremendous. They they are so recovery orientated and so recovery based and focused um, mm-hmm. that. And there's only one or two residential facilities in the country that have a separate men's um, programming. Usually the ones that have both men, the the institutions or the residential facilities, um, they will program the men and women together. And um, I, I, I had one client who had to make weight for wrestling, and people don't realize that they will do it any way they can to make that weight. Sure. Or they're off the team. So right. I decided. Right, I decided that. Um, well, not even decided. I just knew that it was just as important to offer my services and my help to men as it is to women. Mm-hmm. Wow. I see no right. I see no difference. Um, you know, eating disorders they do not discriminate. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I have right. I have. Uh, I have clients that are in their fifties. I have clients that are in their twenties. Mm-hmm. So, so they. Uh, you know, it's an. It's very un. You know, the eating disorder does not care who it claims. Well, so tell me a little bit about uh, the experimental outings. Uh, that you do. Uh, that's something that you told me that you do in addition to your group yeah. coaching and your in-person and phone coaching. So what, what's an experimental outing? Oh, they're kind of like field trips. And um, one of the things when I when I take on a client, we'll talk and we'll, I'll, I'll get to know them a little bit and what interests them, what their passions are, and say if someone is interested in art or painting, We'll go to an art gallery and look at some art. If someone is interested in um, animals, we'll go to where we can see see some animals to a shelter or to a. Um, I, I have a client that um, I'm going to be taking to an aqua therapy uh, session for dogs. So. Wow. Yes, you know if if you if you like to read, we'll maybe go to the library. We'll have lunch, go for coffee, just you know, just fun things. Mm-hmm. Get your, you want to get your nails done? We'll get our nails done. We'll go downtown. We'll you know anything, anything to because I really think a big big part of life coaching is also doing some fun things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really, you're really part of the joy that people are bringing back into their lives. Yeah, you know, I love to see the sparkle come back. That's you know, that's that's so important when 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 the sparkle comes back to the eyes when when someone sees a dog and and stoops down and pets the dog and the sparkle comes back in their eyes and and the smile is genuine and it you know it's that's priceless. Sure, sure. 
And what about the families of the people with the eating disorders? Do you work with families too? You know, I do, I do. I talk to parents and loved ones, and what I, what I really try to emphasize with my clients who are parents and loved ones that have uh, loved ones with eating disorders is that they need their needs met too. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I tell them when I, and when I do some public speaking, the first thing I'll say is, you know, throw away the eggshells. Don't walk on them anymore. You need, mm-hmm. right, you need, you need attention to. You need to be taken care of. You need to be listened to. What do you need? And I found that once they accept the fact that it's okay, it's okay to need something mm-hmm. or to get their needs met, they are, they turn into such a, such a better support for their loved ones. It just trickles down. Sure. Sure, absolutely. You know, it, yeah, it, it's a trickle down theory. If if you take care of yourself, and you know, and 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 the sad truth is, sometimes I have to say that, you know, there might be a chance that this time, at this time, your loved one may not recover right now. Mm-hmm. You have to go on living. You have to do things that you need to do. Okay, you right. You have to make so choices. Yeah, so I imagine that it's really uh, the, the, the same principles that it's recommended for caregivers uh, who are, you know, who are a caregiver for somebody who is ill. Um, you know, for example, somebody who's caring for a loved one with, uh, with dementia, you know, Alzheimer's and things like that, or somebody who's caring for someone who's sick, um, uh, you know, in any other way, that they've got to take care of themselves because, you know, the caregivers... Yeah die often before the person they're giving care to because it's the stress that kills them. Absolutely, right. absolutely. And um, and I know my husband will not mind me sharing this. When we were going through our hardest time, he got his own therapist because, I mean, he couldn't sure. go around punching holes in the wall or in me. Right. Um, yeah, he needed he needed to take care of himself in order in order to be able to support me he needed to, and he also needed to know that if I did not recover, he he needed to get on with his life and get his needs met. Sure. You know, in, in fact, in his book, um, The Accidental Caregiver, Caregiving mm-hmm. Without Regret, um, Michael mm-hmm. Bloom, who is a coach who specializes in uh, coaching caregivers, uh, talks about the very same concept about how you know, you've got your needs and you've got to have them taken care of. You've got to take that time to care for yourself. Um, Absolutely. You know, otherwise Absolutely. the path to the path to regret is just like, you know, paved right for you and it's, and it's, and it's where you're going to end up. Um, and I'll actually be interviewing, uh, interviewing Michael uh, on, my, on my show in a couple of weeks. So you can keep an eye oh, on my great. website for that. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's it's just so important. And, and even in, in her book, uh, Take Time for Your Life, it talks about the concept of extreme self-care. And not even in the concept of caring for someone who's ill or suffering from something, but just, you know, just on, in, in everyday life. Um, yeah. You know, you're a mom and you got a million things going on and three mm-hmm. kids and a husband and all these people take care of and mm-hmm. your needs come last and you end up feeling really resentful and victimized by the end of it, right? 
So Absolutely. it sounds like it's all those same principles that the family members um, of the person who's suffering from the eating disorder needs to needs to follow. Um, it is, it is, Mark, because I, there, I used to ask my husband this question all the time: How do I look? Does this make me look fat? And he, he, he would say, No matter what I would say to you, Susan, it's the wrong answer. And one day I asked him, and he decided to throw the eggshells away. He wasn't going to walk on those eggshells anymore. And I said, How does this make me look? And he said, I'm not going there ever again. And he turned, and I looked at him, and I've never asked. You know, I'm like, okay. And that's what he needed to do. He needed mm-hmm. to do that. And um, and then, you know, just to back up a little bit with my clients, I really I really emphasize self-care for them, too, because, you know, what what are you doing for yourself? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, self-care is so important when you're recovering from an eating disorder because you're so used to um, doing other people's biddings or taking care of other people. Uh, you really, really have to make time, even if it's just an hour a day, sure. to soak in a tub or whatever, as sure. long as you can give yourself some self-care every single day. And that's another criteria that I, I – uh, another, another layer of my coaching is, is self-care. Mm. You Absolutely. Know, it, yeah, yeah. Go get go get your hair done. You know, go go fishing. Go whatever you need to do. Do it. All for you. Great. And I understand also, Susan. And we're going to be wrapping in just a couple of minutes. But there's a couple mm-hmm. more questions I want to I want to squeeze in before we uh, before sure. we're out of time. But I understand that you um you you give back in uh, another very powerful way, and that's through some. Some pro bono work uh, that you do, as you know, and that that's your way of giving back. Uh, can you comment about that? Sure, sure, and and that is my way of giving back. I I hold open three pro bono spots, um, and when one when one is done, of course, there's always three spots, <clears throat> and um, it's eight weeks of coaching with the same benefits of a paying customer for eight weeks, and mm-hmm. um, I just. I, I feel it's my way of giving back. I'll go and I'll I'll talk to groups. I'll talk to um, you know parents and support givers and um, um, recovery-based focus groups, uh, and I'll do that for no charge mm-hmm. uh, every so often. But that's that. Yes, that is my way of paying uh, paying it forward because without. Right. Yeah, without that, um, some people, you know, there are some people that just simply cannot afford. Uh, treatment is so expensive. Sure. And, you know, and, um, yeah. Well, so and I you do, received I, stuff pro bono that was saving for you, right? So it's mm-hmm, kind of like it's in, it's in the pill for you to draw from, right? <laughs> absolutely. And I would hope that that person will pay it forward also. Sure, sure. So if you could kind of share with us, mm-hmm. uh, share with us briefly, like, one of your major client success stories. Oh, I have one in, I have one in mind right now. Cool. I, I coached a young lawyer uh, for a year and a half, and his, his dream is, was to become a law professor. And he had 
recovering from his eating disorder, but he had other issues too that included anxiety, fear of flying. And um, not only did I get him on a plane for interviews, um, he's now on a founding faculty of a brand-new university law school on in another part of our country right now. So, um, And he's also considering taking flying lessons. So I consider that <laughs> one of my, yeah, I mean, this, person, this client was so afraid to even step on an airplane, and now he's considering taking flying lessons. So, yeah. Oh, that's Can amazing. You, yeah, it was amazing, and he he's a very amazing man. Yeah, wow. Congratulations. Lucky Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so Susan, if people would like to contact you, um, how can they do so? And uh, I understand you have a special offer for anybody listening to the show tonight. Sure. I sure do. If you would go to my website, www.wingsof.com, on the front page, there's a little message. And if you go to my contact page and uh, put your information in and let me know that you listen tonight, I'm offering 15% off of any of my packages. And that will be available for... Uh, an extended time. So if you weren't able to listen live and you want to listen um, to to the recording, it will be there. Great. Well, thank you for, for doing that for everybody. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Susan, what's life like for you now? Life for me now, life for me now is is an adventure. Um, there's no restrictions for me anymore. I can do it. I get up in the morning, and sure, I have crummy days, just like a, a lot of people have crummy days, but when I think about what I do for a living, what I do with my life, mm-hmm. it always brings a smile. My husband and I are closer than we've ever been. My family and I are closer. My daughter and I, we've never been closer. I truly enjoy life. I remember, I could tell you the moment I was recovered is when I had my first belly laugh in over 12 years, and it was a genuine belly laugh. Wow. And and for people listening, they realize what that means, when you can just spontaneously laugh at something and enjoy enjoy it. I mean, there's nothing like that. People take that for granted so much, and... Mm. Yeah, my life is my life is wonderful now. It's it's going exactly the way I want it to go. Oh, that's so great. That's so great to Thank hear. You. And and Thank to have you. that opportunity to create that opportunity. Oh, that. Yeah, that's my passion. You know, when I when I rec- when I was in recovery, I thought I would run away as far away as I could from eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And when my dietitian said, you should be a life coach, she planted that seed. And, you know, I'm so glad she planted that seed because it mm-hmm. is. It's my passion. And um, I never imagined I could be this happy. Mm. Wow. Well, good for you, Susan. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You, you, oh. um, you do such amazing work, and it's such important work. And uh, I'm sure it is so appreciated by everybody whose life you touch. 
uh, with the work that you do. And uh, so thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. Um, I appreciate it, and um, it was a blast. Great. Well, I'm really glad to hear that, and and thanks for sharing it. Thanks for being so vulnerable uh, with, with us. You know, and uh, it's so great. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure that that's a quality that really serves you and your clients really, really well, um, the, the quality of being vulnerable and, and being open and sharing. And uh, yeah. it's just, you know, hat, hats off to you. I'm bowing to you. You can't see me, but I'm bowing to you. <laughs> Thank um, you, Mark. Thank it's you. It's just great, great, great work that you're doing. So. Um, Thank you. So very good. I will also have uh, Susan's contact information posted on my website as well, um, and that uh, so that if you need it, and uh, if you need it sooner than it gets posted, feel free to just go to my website, send me an email, uh, and uh, and I'll get back to you. And again, Susan, uh, your website is www.wingsof.com. Great. Great. And then mine, of course, is www.markshaw.com. And Mark Shaw is spelled M-A-R-K-S-C-H-A-L-L. So www.markshaw.com. So you'll be able to reach Susan one way or another uh, through through either Susan directly or through me. So, um, so again, Susan, thank you very, 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 very much for your time tonight and for sharing yourself with us. Well, and, you're welcome, uh, And thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. A pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, as I invite you to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, just go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. If you'd like to follow the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, just visit us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork and then click on the follow button. Also, visit our website at www.lifecoachradionetworks.com and learn about all of our networks. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. You can listen to Mark My Words live on the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as listen to any previous show from my archives at markmywordsradio.com and on iTunes by searching Mark My Words. I look forward to speaking with you all again next time. Thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night.